Today we're going to finish up our fall series on the parables of Jesus. And we're going to call, <coughs> we're going to call this message uh, Box Seats. Now how many of you like as good a seat as possible when you go to an event? Let me, let me see your hands, all right? So I want you to take a guess on some of these prices. I've got seven categories here. Number one, what's the most expensive ticket for Coachella? Uh, I know that, uh, let's see, who goes, Eric, you must go to Coachella every, uh, every, uh, who, who's that? Yes, I mean, I, looking right around here. Yeah, Tim, you guys go there, right? Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, $999, just short of $1,000. Number two, what's the most expensive ticket to see the Broadway show Hamilton? Uh, $1,150. Now, here's a little bit of a trivia, a piece of trivia. Do any of you remember, maybe not, at not uh, more so at 8.30, I think, would remember this, but do any of you remember one of our worship leaders from a few years ago here at Purpose Church named Darnell Abraham? Anybody remember Darnell? Okay, there's a picture of Darnell right there. Well, he now plays the role of George Washington in Hamilton. So if you go to see Hamilton now, uh, our very own Darnell Abraham is George Washington in Hamilton. Isn't that cool? I know, that's really cool. Number three. What's the most expensive concert seat ever sold? A Led Zeppelin reunion tour, London, 2007, $14,700. Number four, what's the average price for a suite at a Lakers game? $21,000, $21,000. What's the most expensive ticket sold for Super Bowl 53, the last Super Bowl? Eight tickets sold together for $180,665, making the price $22,584 uh, per, per ticket. Okay, number six, what's the average price for a ticket to a worship service at Purpose Church? All right, zero. And better yet, what's the average price for box seats here at the front? Yes, come and join Mary Lou here on the front. Zero for box seats uh, here at one of our worship. Do we have the box seats? I don't know if we have the box seats picture there as well. But there they are. They're the box seats uh, for zero. Uh, now today we're going to look at a parable called the parable of the places at the table. Remember parables are stories that Jesus told with a spiritual message behind it. And Jesus was the master storyteller and the master parable teller. Right, let's break it down. Luke chapter 14 verse 1. One Sabbath. When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, most likely a member of the Sanhedrin, which were the most elite of the Pharisees, he was being carefully watched. They were always sending spies out to watch him at every event as he spoke to see if they could trip him up in some way. It reminds me, as we enter into an election season, there's this practice where each campaign has a spy at one of the other uh, candidates' campaign stops in order to hear anything they might be able to use against that candidate. Well, the Pharisees were doing the same thing. They always sent spies whenever Jesus was speaking to see if they could trip him up in some way. Uh, verse 2, there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Now, there are four biographers of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke, uh, one of the biographers here, was a doctor. And so he uses a medical term here. The old-fashioned word would be dropsy, but today we would call it edema. And that would be this abnormal swelling of his body. Verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, according to the law of Moses, it was totally lawful. 
And yet uh, the rabbinic interpretation of the law of Moses says that it was actually work to heal somebody and so you couldn't do it. They remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. I love that. He grabs him, took hold of him, healed him, sent him on his way. Verse five, then he asked them, if any one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? But again, they had nothing to say. So Jesus is using questions to expose their selfishness. Verse seven, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Now the background of this is, is that at a wedding banquet like this, it would be a series of small tables that seated three people at a table. And they'd be in a big U shape. And so the guest of honor would be at the bottom of the U at a table of three, three people reclining at a table for three. That's where the guest of honor and the two most honored guests would be. And then everybody in descending order, the next most important, the next most important, the next most important, until the least important would be at the edges, the ends of the U, uh, the furthest away from the guest of honor at the bottom of the U. And so Jesus says in verse 8, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat then humiliated, you will have to take the least important seat. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, the Jesus way to go up is down. That's the Jesus style. Uh, a couple of little boys, Kevin, age seven, and Ryan, age five, are sitting down to breakfast. Their mom is making pancakes, and she brings them the first pancake, and they both grab for it. The mom decides this is a great moment to teach them a moral lesson. She says, if Jesus were here, he would give his brother the first pancake, and then he'd sit and wait patiently. So Kevin looks at his little brother and says, Ryan, you be Jesus. Uh, we always want everybody else to be Jesus in those situations. Ryan, you be Jesus. Now, how can we be Jesus this coming week? Let me give you some examples. You and your spouse are having an argument, and halfway through the argument, you ever have that terrible moment when you realize that you're the one that's wrong? And, and, and it comes, you know, are you going to admit it or not? And, and so it's easy to think, you know what, I'm not going to own up to the fact. I realize I'm wrong, but I'm just going to keep arguing. Uh, or, or uh, she's going to have to apologize first. Your pride gets the box seat. Your prize gets the front seat. Or here's one for students. Uh, you come home from school and your parents are exhausted, but it's just human nature to let them clean up while you go and uh, call your friends. Uh, and so your comfort gets the box seat. Your comfort gets the front seat. Or uh, someone, I can't even imagine this happening, but someone barges in front of you in a line at a crowded store during Christmas shopping. That's just a theoretical here. It's just human nature to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, I was here first. Or someone gets a promotion at work. Are you genuinely happy for her or do you spend the whole time mulling over how unfair it is that you didn't get promoted? Or you're at a party, a Christmas party and you get stuck talking to a person who's not that interesting to you, while you can hear your friends over on the other side of the room laughing together. 
Do you make up an excuse and quickly join your friends? Or do you ask a question to get to know him better? You see, the Jesus style is upside down. The Jesus style is the way to go up is, is down. That's, that's the whole Jesus turning things upside down. He said to his disciples, you know, other people kind of lord it over each other, but not so with you. You're going to be a different group of people uh, as you follow me. Verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others uh, above yourselves. Uh, I love some quotes that um, came across this past week uh, on on the subject of humility. Here's, Here's one by Mother Teresa. She said, these are the few ways we can practice humility. To speak as little possible of oneself. To mind one's own business. How would you like to have Mother Teresa say, mind your own business. That would be, that'd be a bad day. Uh, not to want to manage other people's affairs. How many times are we busybodies and we want to tell other people how to live their lives in, in, in certain areas where they should have that choice? To avoid curiosity, and I don't think she meant with regard to knowledge, but I think she meant with regard to gossip and what's going on that's hard in the life of another person. To accept contradictions and correction cheerfully. To pass over the mistakes of others. To accept insults and injuries. To accept being slighted, forgotten, and disliked. <coughs> to be kind and gentle, either under, even under provocation. Never to stand on one's dignity. To choose always the hardest way. To choose the hardest thing to do. Nelson Mandela wrote, There is universal respect and even admiration for those who are humble and simple by nature and who have absolute confidence in all human beings irrespective of their social status. Uh, Michael J. Fox, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at the age of 29, uh, he writes, humility is always a good thing. It's always a good thing to be humbled by circumstances so that you can then come from a sincere place to try to deal with them. And then Amy Chua, uh, who wrote... um, uh, the famous and controversial book, uh, what was it, um, um, the, the Tiger Mothers, uh, the, the Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mothers, that's what it was. Uh, she writes, a lot of parents today are terrified that something they say to their children might make them feel bad. But hey, if they've done something wrong, they should feel bad. <laughs> Kids with a sense of responsibility, not entitlement, who know when to experience gratitude and humility will be better at navigating the social shoals of, of, of college. Now, here's some motivation to put others first in your life. Number one, God wants to exalt you. Now, this doesn't sound churchy. This doesn't sound like, what? What's up with that? We always get the idea that God wants to crush us under his heel, that God always wants to stomp on us. But God actually wants to exalt you. He just wants you to go about it his way rather than our own way. Our own way is to exalt ourselves. God wants us to wait on him. But God wants to exalt you. I mean, look back at this story. Luke 14, verse 10, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place, then you'll be honored. 
He says in verse 14, uh, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So God wants to exalt you. Number two, God loves to exalt the humble. This is a theme uh, from cover to cover in the Bible. God just loves, do you feel beaten down today? Do you feel trampled on by life? God loves to exalt the humble. It says in verse 11, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus, writes this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Paul wrote this about Jesus in Philippians 4, uh, 2, verse 7. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You know, this story we're looking at today kind of gives us insight into what was going on during the Lord's Supper. Have you ever read in, in Luke, I, I think Luke is the only one that includes this little detail, that Luke says that the disciples at the Last Supper, they were fighting with each other over who was the greatest disciple. Can you imagine? Just a few hours before Jesus gets crucified, his followers are fighting over who's, who's the greatest. And, and, and it's just amazing, although we can see that. I can see that in my own heart as well. I, I totally get that. But you wonder why that's so random. Why would they be fighting about who's the greatest at the Last Supper? The la- the, we just shared the Lord's Supper to remind us of, of the Last Supper. Why would they be doing it then? Okay, think back to the table arrangement that I talked about earlier, the U-shaped. So the place of honor would be uh, three people down here, three at each of the small tables. So it would be Jesus plus one on his right and one on his left. And then the next most important. And then the next most important. And then the next most important. I mean, that kind of messes up your idea of the Last Supper. My apologies uh, to Leonardo da Vinci. I think that was kind of a group picture at the end where he had them all uh, stand before and behind the rectangular table. But you have all these small tables there. And so I think, we don't know this for sure, but I think they may have been fighting over who was the greatest because they were fighting over who was going to be the closest to the guest of honor, closest to Jesus during the meal. Now, so imagine the drama. They're fighting over who's going to sit where. And while they're fighting, the guest of honor, Jesus, gets up, takes his robe off, gets on his knees, and begins to wash their feet one after another. Can you imagine what an embarrassing moment that would be? Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Everybody's arguing who's the greatest, uh, who gets to sit closest to the guest of honor. Meanwhile, the guest of honor gets up, gets on his knees, and scrubs the manure and the mud from the feet of his followers. And he was trying to set an example for them, saying, hey guys, this is the way it's going to work from now on if you want to follow me. Uh, How God feels uh, about the humble. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 9, God guides the humble. Uh, Psalm 149, verse 4, God crowns the humble with salvation. Proverbs 3, 34, God gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 66, verse 2, God esteems the humble. James 4, verse 10, God will lift up the humble. Humility is the byproduct of getting to know Christ. And the more closely we follow him, the more we will learn his ways and we will learn the way, the path of humility because we are following after Christ. Now here's a third motivation uh, for, uh, for humbling ourselves. Uh, I don't like to learn the hard way. How many of you pre- prefer to learn things the easy way rather than the hard way? Now, the hard way you'll probably remember more, but the easy way is the better way. 
And so that's why Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves, okay, this is how we learn the hard way, will be humbled. Uh, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, which, by the way, the Super Bowl trophy is named after the coach of the Green Bay Packers. What does that tell you right there? Okay, what does that tell you? Okay, oh, I'm exalting myself. They're going to lose today. I just know it now. You watch them. They're going to go to New York Giants and lay an egg. Okay, I just brought it on myself. Uh, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, true story, was used to fans seeking his autograph. One day he was eating in a diner in Green Bay, and he spotted a little boy approaching his table. Lombardi grabbed a menu and quickly scribbled his name on it. When the kid got to Lombardi's table, the coach handed him the autographed menu. The little boy said, I don't need a menu. I just need to borrow your ketchup. And that's why he was walking over there. Now, I had a situation that humbled me in Green Bay a few weeks ago. I wasn't going to share this because it makes me look bad, you know. But, uh, but this is the whole sermon about looking bad. Okay, so anyway, so uh, a few weeks ago, I told you a while back that we were in Green Bay uh, to see a game, see him play the Detroit uh, Lions. And, and we got tickets because Pastor Randy, you know, one of our pastors here, one of his sons, he and Cheryl's sons, Kyle, is a coach for the Green Bay Packers. And by the way, the thing we don't talk about, their other son, Kyle, is a coach for the Edmonton Eskimos. So any of you Canadians out there, one, one's a son for the, uh, is a coach for the uh, Edmonton Eskimos, the other one's a coach for the Green Bay Packers. And so he got us in, he got Kimberly and I in on the, the practice the day before the game, the walkthrough, where they walk through their plays one last time before the next day's games. So there's only like 20 or 30 people there. It's really awesome. Just a few of us on the sidelines watching this walkthrough practice. Just the coach's wife and the coach's children and a few other people. And then Kimberly and me and then this nice family that was standing over there. And when the practice is over, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Packers, starts walking right towards us. And we're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. This is so awesome. But then he turns and he starts talking with this family instead of with Kimberly and me. Now, I'm not a complete jerk, but I am a little bit of a jerk, okay? My family might dispute the complete part of it, okay? So, uh, but, but a little part of me was like, hey, Aaron, over here, why aren't you talking to us instead of them? Until finally we realized they were the Make-A-Wish Foundation family over here. I felt about this tall, okay? Yes, I am a giant jerk, okay? I, and that's what Jesus said. He, he said... You know, God will humble the jerks among us. Glenn Gunderson at the head of the list. But here's the good news for jerks like me. James writes, but he gives us more grace. Aren't you glad for that grace? Pastor Eric was talking about as he intro the Lord's Supper. Grace. Aren't you glad for the grace of God for all of us? And he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And Paul writes... I mean, if you're beaten down today, if, if, you're, if you're watching online, you're listening to a podcast later on, or you're in Kalispell, or you're, you're in Arco, Idaho, you know, and you just feel beaten up by life, and you feel beaten down by life, maybe you're watching right now, you're listening right now just for this one thing God wants to say to you. If you feel beaten up and beaten down by life, Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? God 
is near to the broken heart, the Bible says. The Bible says that if you have been humbled, if your heart has been broken, he is closer to you than he is then he's closer to other people. He's especially close to the humble and the brokenhearted. Number four, humility takes the stress out of life. Humility is not thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking of myself less. You know somebody who's like hypersensitive and they're always getting their feelings hurt. And you think, oh, they're just a humble, sensitive person. That's why they're always getting their feelings hurt. No, they're not. They're prideful. They're thinking about themselves so much that they just are, are aware of all these slights and offenses against them because they're thinking too much of themselves. Humility is not thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking of myself less. I love this verse, Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, I'm not talking the big areas that need reconciliation. Uh, Kimberly and I have a saying in our marriage, don't be nicer than you are. That is, if, 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 if you, this thing is going to grind you, you better sit down and talk about it and reconcile over it. Don't be nicer than you are and say, oh, it doesn't bother me. And then particularly me blows up, you know, a, a week later or something like that. Uh, Kimberly's just awesome at keeping short accounts, you know. You step on her toe, you know immediately when you stepped on her toe. Me, you step on my toe. A week later, I blow up over my tongue. And then, and then Kimberly's wondering, what caused that? You know, no chance for growth. So I learned early in our marriage that, that her style was better than my style on that. So the big stuff, you need to sit down and get reconciled over. But I'm talking the everyday offenses. The Bible says that those everyday slights, those everyday offenses, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. When you overlook an offense, heaven stands up and applauds. One of the characteristics of humble people is the absence of frustration. They're not always asking, why don't people treat me better? They're, they're not asking all the time, why don't people treat me better? Humble people don't even stress about their weaknesses. Paul writes in Romans 12, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed uh, to each of you. The truly humble person is at peace at the head of the table or at the bottom of the table. The truly humble person is at, is at peace at the head of the table or at the bottom of the, pa- the table. Because they know that no matter where I sit, God is in control. God's in control, whether I sit at the head of the table or the bottom of the table. Uh, remember about a year ago, just now, we had Rob Palenka, the general manager of the Lakers, and his wife, Kristen, uh, spoke here last year. And remember, we teased him about looking like Rob Lowe. Well, uh, my son-in-law, Kenny, sent me this picture the other day. Here they are at a Lakers game. There's uh, Rob and Kristen, and there's the actor, Rob Lowe. And I actually think Rob is better looking. That's what Kimberly says. She said, Kristen got the better end of that deal. So this is Rob Lowe, the actor. This is Rob Plinka, the general manager of the Lakers. And there's, uh, there's Kristen. And um, I asked Rob recently how he handled the ups and downs of being so much in the public eye. I mean, my goodness, being general manager of the Lakers is, is a public eye uh, situation. And he said that this is the passage in the Bible that keeps him grounded. This is the one that keeps him grounded. It's Daniel 3, verses 16 uh, through, through 18. Three men are about to be thrown into a furnace for not bowing down to an idol. And here's what they said to the king. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, that is one of the great phrases in the Bible, those six words. I mean, I don't know what furnace you're in here this morning. I don't know what the situation is. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's with your kids or your grandkids. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's a situation at school. Maybe you're a student here and you're coming down the home stretch and you just got a couple of weeks later and you don't know how you're going to pull that class out of the fire. Um, and, and God is able to pull you out of that furnace. God is able to put you at the head of the table rather than the bottom of the table. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So that's what humility is. God, if you, I know you're able to take me from the bottom of the table to the top of the table, but even if you don't, I will be at peace even at the bottom of the table, uh, the bottom of the seating chart, because I know that you're in control of this situation I'm in right now. The truly humble person is at peace at the head of the table or at the bottom of the table. Number five, the way to go up is down. That's the Jesus style. And sometimes we worry that we won't get the stuff of life if we humble ourselves too much. It's like a buffet line. Have you ever gone last in a buffet line? Your table's the one that didn't bribe the DJ, and so you're the last one to get up. And you're at the wedding buffet, and you stand there at the end of the line, and you watch these pigs piled up food all there on their plates. And you see these people, and they got it all piled up, and you're like, hey, hey, leave some for us. And by the time we get to the end of the buffet, there's this little shriveled thing of lettuce sitting there, and, and no rolls, the rolls are gone, you know, the meat's gone. And you're like, hey, I, I lost out because I was at the, the back of the line. My friend, Dane Ocker, he says, you have to believe that if the world runs out of stuff, God is going to make it up to you. 